Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. folks welcome to the tennis podcast i'm Catherine whitaker david law is here hello david hello hello we've got uh, quite a lot to talk about haven't we yes we have matt roberts is here hello yes waiting for the day when i don't turn on to twitter and find myself ashamed of tennis have you have you <laughs> have you prepared your razor sharp tongue for this week matt because that is what what the people are going to come to expect from you now something to live up to yes <laughs> Yes, well, I mean, I feel like the event has done that for us, really. Yes. So the Adria Tour had its first iteration in Belgrade last weekend. That was what we were discussing on the podcast last week. It then moved on to Zadar in Croatia. um, And there was a match on Saturday night in Zadar between Grigor Dimitrov and Borna Choric, during which Dimitrov looked very clearly, very visibly, well, more than out of sorts, he looked quite clearly ill, frankly. He lost uh, very one-sidedly in straight sets to Chorich, didn't shake hands with Chorich at the net. And uh, in, in previous matches, all the players had been showing no signs of reluctance about touching, shaking hands, hugging, all sorts of things, which we'll talk about in more depth later but no handshake did the did the coronavirus elbow bump instead didn't shake hands with the umpire um and there was sort of some chatter about it on social media at the time i think david you mentioned that dimitrov didn't look quite right well about 24 hours later he posts a picture of himself on instagram back home in monte carlo saying i've flown home and i've tested positive for covid-19 um at which point as you can imagine, tennis kind of erupts, sport erupts, kind of, you know, news erupts. This is a a um, a story that certainly transcends tennis and to a certain extent transcends sport, unfortunately. Um, subsequent to that, we've had um, all players besides Novak Djokovic, seemingly, that were involved in the Adria Tour being tested. We've had Borna Choric confirming that he has tested positive despite being asymptomatic, we know that a certain proportion um, of cases 
do tend to be asymptomatic. There were also two other confirmed cases. They're believed to be two members of player support teams, two coaches, fitness trainers, not quite sure. There is some speculation that one of them is Dimitrov's coach, fitness trainer, and another is a member of Djokovic's team. But we don't have confirmation of that. I mentioned Djokovic there. All we've heard from him is that he has returned home to Belgrade because he wasn't experiencing any symptoms and said he intended to get tested once home in Belgrade. And just in the last hour, we record this at, at Harper State UK time on Monday, just in the last hour, we've uh, had confirmation from the Serbian journalist Sasha Osmo that Djokovic has had the test uh, at home in Serbia. He expects to get the results in 24 hours, at which point he is expected to speak to the press. Djokovic, of course, not just a player involved in the event, but also responsible for for hosting the event and, and pulling the whole thing together. It is a story that is at once completely unreal and and also completely depressingly predictable based on what we were seeing and talking about last week and i even as we were 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 saying those things uh, uh, that we did on the podcast last week i was still thinking but surely they must know something that we don't if they're doing that then surely they must have some kind of assurances that the risk is is close to nil because nobody would be that that stupid or reckless or irresponsible, but um, ye of too much faith, I suppose, because unfortunately our our worst fears, um, not just ours, but you know much of the tennis community, they've all they've all come true. Mm. And I was thinking back. I actually listened back to our show from last Wednesday because I, I'd had a, quite a lot of correspondence from listeners, which was split. Some people felt that I was being too too hard on on the event and not giving enough credit for the fact that Serbia is a country which and I and I, when I listen back we did say that there are very few cases in Serbia of, of coronavirus there are very few deaths same in Croatia um, and the the restrictions are not what they are here in the UK. Um, which is obviously one of the really seriously hit areas. Um, but at the same time, that it looked to me terrible in this climate. It looked like they were just ignoring the fact that there was a pandemic on and just carrying on as if tennis was tennis from six months ago. So I was focusing then really at the time on how it looked and how, the message that it was sending to the to the world and to all the fans of of these players whilst having in the back of my mind that really let's let's think about this if one of these players or anybody from their teams or anybody around happens to have coronavirus given the way they're behaving given the way they're dancing in nightclubs together um very close up shaking hands handing towels to ball kids being pictured with literally hundreds of people, young people, old people, everybody in Zadar over the last weekend uh, and the weekend before in, in Belgrade. If one person had it, the potential for disaster is there. And I just sort of end up feeling, feeling last week that, and, I, and my conclusion was, 
it will probably be okay. It'll probably be okay. But even so, it, it doesn't feel right. Well, it's not okay. Grigor Dimitrov has brought coronavirus with him to Serbia and, and to, to Zadar. Um, or he's picked it up when he's there. Well, I mean, almost that's best case scenario that Grigor Dimitrov brought it brought it with him that he's patient zero i mean mm-hmm. because he's he's traceable and he's a known quantity i mean who knows who 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 he got it from where you know who knows where the trail goes back to yeah and 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 the other half of people were there were a couple of people who who wrote to us and said you know you, this isn't just about optics this is this is about the irresponsibility and potential danger that this event is putting people in and in hindsight actually i i would go i would agree with that i still understand i still feel that what i said last week is what i would say now if i didn't have the hindsight i have right now but it had the potential and that potential has been realized but optics are also part of that because it sets an example. You know, Novak Djokovic is as as big a star um, as there is in Serbia, as big a figurehead. He's somebody that doesn't shy shy away from from leadership type roles and spokesmanship type roles. You know, we'll come on to the fact that he's head of, head of the Players Council. Him staging that event in the way that he did sent a message out to the region and the world that this behavior is okay. Um, and, you know, he's usually somebody that's pretty aware of, of his responsibilities in that, in that kind of regard. So to, uh, to hide behind statements such as, you know, we followed the, the guidance in those regions at the time feels pr- pretty flimsy. And Matt, you've looked up exactly what that, that guidance is and was and it it doesn't sound like a hey go and throw a big tennis event and do a load of hugging and have a kids day and go to a club and do some sweaty grinding to me no is that what the guidance said I, i genuinely do not understand how this event was allowed to take place when you read through the guidance the adria tour official statement when they called off the final in Zadar said that at all times we've strictly followed the epidemiological measures in place in the countries where the Adria tour was organized. Well, the first thing to note there is that Montenegro was supposed to host the third leg of this. They seemed to take one look at everything that was happening in the Serbia leg and say, you're not having that here. They sort of cancelled themselves that leg of the tour even before any of these positive cases were confirmed. And the second thing is, yeah, you have a quick look at the Serbian government advice listed on their COVID-19 information page. And it says that the outbreak is ongoing and it's recommended to follow preventive measures to reduce the risk of transmission. And then, then the measures listed are avoid hugging, cheek kissing, shaking hands with others and keep the recommended distance of at least one meter between yourself and others and use a face mask to cover your mouth and nose when staying indoors. So to read that and to see the images that we saw through both legs of the Adria tour just doesn't add up at all. I mean, the irony of the fact that the first time I've seen a tennis player involved in that event wearing a mask is Grigor Dimitrov in presumably his hospital bed bed having just tested positive. I mean... The recklessness, the thoughtlessness, the obliviousness of it all 
is is really shocking and shameful i think and the world health organization advice is is even if you test negative if you have come into contact with somebody um that has tested positive you should self-isolate now Novak Djokovic's statement about returning to Belgrade that is a violation of uh of of the regulations Dominic team traveled to the south of France for the ultimate tennis showdown now and played a match now we know he he tested negative upon arrival he subsequently tested negative they say a further two times but strictly the advice is if you know you've come into contact with an infected person you should be self-isolating and that is what Marin Cilic has announced that that he is doing. He's received a negative test, but he intends to self-isolate for two weeks. Andre Rublev the same. I think the best of the statements that I've I've seen so far has been from Alexander Zverev. He says, "I've just received the news that my team and I have tested ne- negative for COVID nineteen. I deeply apologise to anyone that I have potentially put at risk by playing this tour. I will proceed to follow the self isolating guidelines advised by our doctors as an added precaution. My team and I will continue with regular testing. I wish everyone who's tested positive a speedy recovery. Stay safe." Now. It doesn't change the fact that his playing that event was flipping stupid and it always was flipping stupid. You didn't have to have that much hindsight or judgment, I don't think, to realise that it was it was at best an extremely naive thing to do. But that that strikes closest to the right tone of any statement I've seen so far. It's gonna be very, very interesting what we hear from Novak Djokovic, provided we do hear from him tomorrow evening. P.S. David Law has always also all ah, David Law has already uh, raised the prospect of an additional podcast tomorrow evening, two in two days. Uh, snuck that in while we were prepping for this one. Of course, he did. <laughs> this is just our training um, for Wimbledon. Really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to be very interesting, is it? I mean, I, I personally want him to appear in his back garden on a white uh, picnic table with some really, with a really crap um, tablecloth um, and some papers in front of him with his sleeves rolled up and uh, explain that he was just testing his eyesight the whole time. And if you don't know what Catherine's <laughs> referring to, uh, just read Simon Briggs's piece, uh, which has an intro about the parallels to Dominic Cummings, the uh, the British Prime Minister aide, who, uh, who yes, went through that. I thought you were going to say British Prime Minister then, and I wasn't going to correct you. Who <laughs> went through that same process, uh, or at least a similar one, uh, a few weeks ago. I, I think there's a lot at stake here. Uh, obviously, I mean, obviously there is, but even even from here, the facts that Novak Djokovic has said nothing in the last 24 hours bothers me immensely. He is the head of the player council. He is the world number one. He is the, from what I understand, the organiser of this tour, at least the figurehead, um, the inspiration behind it. And he has brought all of these people together. They have flagrantly disregarded all social distancing advice and on the understanding that everything will be fine and it isn't fine. So uh, you've got some explaining to do right there. And to have radio silence for 24 hours is, is really disturbing to me. Now, I hope that when he does speak, 
um, and I suspect it'll probably be more to his fans than the media. I think he, is is what I would imagine, but we'll see. I, I just hope he gets this right and really understands the gravity of the situation, um, and that he he needs to send a message that that this was the wrong thing to be doing. Um, and goodness me, let's hope that Grigor Dimitrov gets better. That that Borna Chorich is okay. That all of these people make a full recovery, and that we don't see a spike of cases all the way through the region. All the people that were there that don't have the access to private jets to get them home and and um, high priority with testing. Mm. You know, do all do all the people that were in that nightclub with them, all the people that came to the event, all the people that were at that kids' day. What's their access to testing like? I I can't stop thinking about the photographs that we've seen of Chorich and Dimitrov surrounded by kids, you know, that that is going to be a defining image. It's like a frozen image of time of tennis behaving irresponsibly during the pandemic. And goodness knows, let's let's hope that no one in those photos is infected. But, you know, it's reasonable to assume that other people will be who were in the crowd at this event or, as you said, in those nightclubs, in those kids' days, because we know how contagious this virus is. And Whenever we see, whenever we see the pictures of the Cheltenham Festival mm. and the many, many thousands of people crammed together in, was it March? And yeah, it, it's haunting. It's haunting. It gives you a shudder every single time you see that and you realise the the way that the virus then took off in in Britain and the numbers what have we got sixty thousand expected to 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 be to have died if you count all the care home deaths as well um, now I know that that's not a single source but it was a, it was a, a symbol really of the country just not taking it seriously um, at the time and God forbid that has happened that something tragic happens here and um that is the image that we will see and i think you know chorich and dimitrov to me feel like the kind of well-meaning kid at school who gets caught up with the wrong crowd and mixing and doing something they should they kind of know they shouldn't be doing but they at the same time they should know better and they should have thought this event doesn't feel right but there's a there's a responsibility with someone and it's it feels like mainly Djokovic as the organiser of this event and anyone who helped him organise it, that this was not the right thing to be doing. And, you know, frankly, it's a kind of it's a kind of extension of what Djokovic was talking about on his Instagram lives. It's it's two fingers up at science and it's and it's saying I'm above this and I'm invincible. I'm a tennis player. I'm fit. I'm strong. I'm healthy. Let's let's show them that we've that we've beaten this virus. And it they hadn't. And you know, other people are adjusting their lives and changing the way they're living, and they're going about doing this. And I'm sorry, but it it leaves such a bad taste. And now it's endangering lives. And I mean, we can't stress the seriousness of this, really. By the by, not that it's hugely relevant, but there is actually quite a lot of um, evidence, data suggesting that athletes, top level athletes are actually more prone to contracting not just coronavirus, but other similar viruses as well due to the the way that their bodies function. But, you know, not that Djokovic's guff about, you know, making water pure by dancing around it or something. It needs debunking, but, you know... 
there's there's just one bit of debunking that can be done um and it's you know it's all very funny isn't it when it's just somebody when it's just some somebody having slightly well not slightly but wacky views but you can sort of say each to their own not doing anyone any harm well it's doing harm now it's doing harm and you know science is not just another opinion and you know when we were watching the, the the coverage a week ago, and when we were talking about it even in last week's podcast, I, I often find myself trying trying to self assess whether we and not just we but everybody in the media is being too harsh on Novak Djokovic generally because he comes in for a lot of stick, and we 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 are often criticised for forgiving him stick or uh, certainly the british media are and, and people feel that um that we, we we've got it in for him and when i self-assess i'd always try to just get get the balance just be fair just get the balance right and I, there is no way around this there's no way around it there's no way of sugarcoating this and um like i say i hope he he's able to give answers tomorrow or an, or a um a statement that that can in the same way as Alexander Zverev has, just at least make you realise that he's understood the seriousness of it of it all. Um, there was there was also just just to say there was a there was a match that I was watching last week from the Adria Tour and Eurosport had got the rights um, to it. And there's there's sort of one of those things that when you get the rights to something, there is maybe there's a bit of pressure at times for a broadcaster to to not be negative about what they're about the event that they are covering um and i think that in recent years particularly with the the proliferation of world feeds becoming more and more significant and and fewer stations putting their own commentary teams on things or and just literally taking a feed and putting it out there and often that feed is arranged by the tournament itself or the tours themselves that has increased and there's a there's a, there's less criticism out there but there was a moment watching i can't remember who was playing last week in belgrade but Chris Bradnam, very experienced commentator, and he was on his own in the commentary box, nobody alongside him. And there was a moment where he just said, you know, I'm trying to bite my lip here, but I cannot believe that they are, there are still ball kids on this court going up and taking sweaty towels from tennis players. And I remember thinking, good for you, Chris, because that has been bothering me for the last half an hour. Um, and, you know, we we as commentators... Yeah, you, you've got to say it how it is. Um, otherwise, you lose credibility. And I was really pleased to hear him say that. And it was an important message to just to just send out because this is not okay. Nick Kyrgios has sent out the same message, as you might expect. What's he said? A uh, lot of it was in caps. Uh, <laughs> did he use it? Was knucklehead bonehead. the word he... Bonehead. bonehead, sorry. Sorry, boneheads. <laughs> Something about the boneheads uh, involved with uh, making the Adria tour happen, um, and uh, ended his tweet in caps with "This is not a joke." Um, and that's—I mean, <laughs> we were saying just before we started recording, Matt, when David was busy having internet problems and plotting extra podcasts. Um, <laughs> you said, "Oh, I already already missed the days when we could make light-hearted jokes about." Dominic team playing far too much tennis all over the world. Now it's it's all really sinister. The thought, you know, David looked at his schedule and said, "Bloody hell, he's down to play an exhibition in Austria on Thursday." 
I mean, I know he's tested positive. Uh, excuse me. I know he's tested negative, but strictly he should be self-isolating. The tests are not 100% accurate. And actually taking multiple tests um, doesn't help in that regard because it's not it's not the tests that are faulty. It's the way that you're... Um, your body interacts with the test. So if you if you get a false positive or negative once, you will most likely get a same the same false results subsequent times. So and 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 whether it's actually reckless or not, he just needs to be seen to be doing the right things, to be setting the examples. They all do. They just need to be seen to to be saying, This is serious here. I need to not even think about thinking about about thinking about putting a foot wrong everything has to be the letter of the law there's no making up for what's gone before all i can do is try and set it right now and <laughs> i i don't know i don't know it is it staggering naivety is it is it arrogance is it stupidity what what is it? Because well, it's very difficult all to of, say, isn't it? All of these people have enormous teams around them. They employ countless advisors and and experts. Obviously, not epidemiologists or anything, but managers and agents and and fitness people who you'd, who'd expect to have some sort of appreciation of of public health, etc. I mean, it's just. It's so out of touch from what we're all experiencing and our thought processes on a daily basis that it it is quite hard to to wrap your head around. So somebody I heard say uh, when when Nick Kyrgios is the one who sounds like he's uh, <laughs> the sensible one, voice of reason. And uh, and then we had today um, Dan Evans in in a in a virtual press conference ahead of the the Battle of the Brits tournament, which is due to start tomorrow. Um, organised by Jamie Murray, eight singles players, male singles players, eight uh, six British male doubles teams, and looks like it'll be a, you know a pretty good event uh, down in in, in uh, the National Tennis Centre. And and Jamie was talking about the the event, and he was being asked about this, and he was he's clearly cottoned on immediately what's at stake here they'd already got a lot of safety measures in place for testing and for social distancing and and had clearly been taking it very seriously and when this news had broken it was clear from what he said as well that they'd had a player meeting he said and reminded each other of that you can't let your guard down and I'm thinking well that's exactly right that's exactly what you should be doing then Dan Evans came in and I know some people will listen to what Dan Evans has got to say and think, well, I'm not going to be lectured by Dan Evans who who failed a, a doping test two years ago. Um, but actually his words were absolutely on the money. And regardless of who they come from, you know, he, he, got, it, he got it absolutely right because he, he said this should not be happening um, and that the the – world number one and the the leader of the player council should be showing a better example mm. what do we think about i mean it, it, until we've heard from him the the player council thing is potentially premature to discuss but is it a position that seems untenable i think i saw john wertheim tweet this evening that he'd heard rumblings among players that 
some, you know, quite a lot were unhappy with Djokovic still holding that position and kind of watch this space kind of thing. Um, and Dan Evans said said the same, really, didn't he? In not in not in certain terms, but he said, you know, he was asked, "Do you think it's a it's a it's a position that he sh- shouldn't be holding?" And he said, "You know, the tone of your question has kind of explained how I'm feeling." Um, but I do wonder now. You know, I think when we were talking about the US Open coming back on whenever it was Wednesday, it's a podcast, we were expecting some bumps in the road and some and the situation to kind of change. Obviously we've got a massive one immediately. And I just think throwing it long term, what is the implications of this for the tour's return? And I think the key question is can you trust three hundred, four hundred tennis players all in one place to behave? Because it's only going to take one or two to break protocol and the whole thing at the US Open is going to kind of implode. I mean, they they are going to have social distancing, more so safety protocols, so it should be a safer event than the Adria Tour. But one or two going against those and you've got a big, big problem. So I do wonder whether it will make some players who are on the fence think... I'm not I'm not getting involved in that if, you know, tennis players have shown themselves to be like this or whether it will just be a massive wake-up call and whether it will kind of crystallise it in people's mind that they need to follow these restrictions. And as Andy Murray said, he spoke to the press yesterday, I, I think, um, he said, well, A, he said that pandemic situation permitting he does intend to play the the US Open he said he'll make an assessment about how safe it is closer to the time but he also made the point that I haven't thought thought of before in, in relation to what you were just saying there Matt about what are the penalties for not sticking to any of this I mean throughout this whole thing um, that's been that's been kind of one of the murky areas across the board hasn't it even the the official government regulations it's been unclear whether any of them are actually and which of them are, are written into law which of them are punishable by fines or or police measures and which are just a sort of polite request from our government that we act in in the spirit of the greater good well i i think it's been pretty well proven that tennis players potentially can't be trusted to be motivated by the greater good so maybe maybe some penalties need to be in place for for those that do commit transgressions. Mm. I mean, I do feel that the the tours are a very different story because there are going to be proper measures in place. They are going to have to um, reach the the sanctions that re, you know put in the place the the provisions that are required to to meet tour level and and you can imagine now more than ever just how extreme those might well be and when we were listening to the US open plans they were talking about their bubbles and they were talking about their social distancing and and if their ability to keep people apart by the sheer size of the place but they also did as you say Matt they talked about people needing to take some responsibility because they were not they were going to allow those houses to be rented they were going to n- not insist on everybody staying in just this kind of quarantine like circle around the site they were going to at least let people go somewhere else and um and tr- and they're relying on people to 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 play by the rules but i do feel that they you know th- this is so egregious because you've you've got people 
clearly passing it on one to the next, stood right there with their arms all around each other. We're not going to have that at the very least you would expect. But, I mean, the stakes are so high and the people are so fidgety as well that, that there has to be the potential for long-term problems as well if it's not taken seriously right now. Shall we close entries now for the tennis shoots itself in the foot category of our year-end awards? <laughs> or, or would I be would I be forever. tempting fate by doing that? Um, and tomorrow we'll find that somehow tennis has shot itself in the foot in an even more catastrophic way. <laughs> how how could that be possible? What would it have to do? What would tennis have to do? What what sort of pathetic minuscule thing happened last year that won it? I can't even remember. I remember campaigning for or nominating um, the the abolition of the Hotman Cup, but I don't think that won. Mine, Do you remember what you nominated? I, Matt? I nominated the um, women's French Open semi-finals. Oh yes, I think being on the Simone Mathieu court at about. 11 Four o'clock, o'clock in the morning. morning. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they were great problems, weren't they? Yeah. I miss our old problems. <laughs> I mean, I literally every day I'm thinking, you know, I go to bed thinking, right, <laughs> that was the nadir of tennis. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day something else happens. Please, tennis, get your act. Your, actually, I should rephrase that because it's always the men Men's tennis, get your act together, for goodness sake. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. More men's tennis coming at you tomorrow, Matt. It's the Battle <laughs> of the Brits. Uh, yeah, it starts tomorrow at the National Tennis Centre in Roehampton. That's why uh, you two were speaking to or certainly listening to uh, the great and the good of British tennis earlier on today. It's Tuesday through Sunday. It's singles and doubles. Starts at 1pm with uh, Jamie Murray, Neil Skubski against Liam Brody, Cam Norrie in doubles. Then it's three singles matches and finally a doubles match the notable singles tomorrow probably Andy Murray against Liam Brody fourth match of the day you've got Kyle Edmund against James Ward Dan Evans against Jay Clark and then Murray versus Brody Kyle Edmund versus Andy Murray they've been drawn in a group together that is a match that will happen on Wednesday that's probably the pick of the group stage match group stage matches so it's an eight man singles draw and a six team doubles draw all of them British and all of them men there is an equivalent uh, women's tournament being organized um, details and player field are still um, yet to be announced I believe but it's certainly although just as with this one the LTA are are involved in the organization and assisting with it it's it's a Jamie Murray led venture and the the women's event is a is an entirely separate uh, venture that the LTA are assisting with um so i'm really glad that that women's equivalent exists and is going to exist i think it's a shame that this men's event came out with all the all the fanfare and as is so often the case it kind of felt a bit like the women's was was an afterthought or an an add on um but i'm you know i'm i'm interested in it i'm i'm going to watch it um i'm definitely interested to see what kind of shape andy murray's in well he hasn't played since november in that uh, davis cup match that he limped through in the in against uh, talon greek spore of the netherlands Ooh. which he won points for that matt well well I must say I looked it up earlier. <laughs> where was oh, where was that name when I was trying to remember tennis players last <laughs> Greek week? Greek spore was on the tip of my tongue when I couldn't recall <laughs> his first name, so I had to look it up. Um But but I've always thought that the concept of some kind of the other British players and actually up and coming British players having to play against certainly Andy Murray when he was in his absolute prime would have actually been a cool thing to see, kind of showing those players what it takes the kind of level they've got to get to, to get to the top. Obviously, Murray is using social media to massively play down his chances at the moment, talk, you know, talking about how much he's struggling to move. I mean, I'm interested in whether that's all a bit of a bit of a ruse. I think it kind of is, and he's he's actually going to be well up for it, and is uh, I'm kind of expecting him to win, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it, it is going to be interesting to see what what shape he is in, because... He was planning to come back in Miami, wasn't he, before the before the lockdown um, to kind of test out the hip and and the 
well, was it a, was it a groin? Test out the hip to see if he needed potentially another surgery. That was something that was. But he he mentioned the yeah. possibility of yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is it it is going to be an interesting event. Well, the first first tennis event I ever went to was a national championships in 1995 for work experience um, with Barry Flatman, former journalist, uh, now retired, but uh, somebody who introduced me to the world of uh, tennis. And, and when I went through the doors in Telford, uh, the national championships, I decided, yes, this is a career for me. Um, but the event only ran for a few more years before just running out of steam really and I think some of the leading players Tim Hemman came through and then was prioritizing international tennis over the national championships and it was and it was a shame really because it is interesting to watch this kind of thing I, I think that Jamie's put together a very very clever format of having the eight top British players who are all interesting and to have Jack Draper in there as amongst them is, mm. is an interesting element as well and six doubles teams um on the subject of the event itself and the organisation, uh, I, I just asked him what what that was like because of, you know, he's used to being a tennis player and, and we've worked behind the scenes and we know what it's like. Um, and he, he, he did confirm this is, I'm probably more nervous about this than I am about tennis matches that I play because there's just so many things to think about. I'm waking up in the mi- middle of the night thinking about fridges and all sorts of things I'm supposed to have organised. And um, and he says it has been a bit chaotic at times, but you know what a what a baptism of fire. Um, also asked him, having received an email from Amy Partridge, one of our listeners, who was just talking about the progress tour women's championships the 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 women's equivalent of this event which is due to take place between the 14th and the 18th of july also at the national tennis center and they have struggled to get a sponsor so far so if anybody is interested in sponsoring that um you know that the, there is an event that's going to take place Unfortunately, not with Joe Conta there, from what, what I understand. But there are some leading British players. Katie Bolter, I think, is playing and, and several others. And it, and it is a shame in that way that this event, which is going to get TV coverage, um, it, it's on um, the Battle of the Brits this week is on Amazon Prime. They're going to have full coverage. So it would have been great, wouldn't it, even better to have had an equivalent women's event under the same umbrella at the same time. Uh, I asked Jamie just, why that hadn't happened and he said really i mean it's a case of just logistics as much as anything the the time in which they had to get this thing together and with the restrictions that they have of of all the social distancing measures that need to be put into place it sounded like it was just too big an ask for in the time period that they had um fortunately they at least have an event coming along fairly soon afterwards and and hopefully that will be a big success as well but we wanted to mention that 14th to the 18th of july Mm. Well, I look forward to that as well. Mm, indeed. Um, Who's going to win the Battle of the Brits, David? That's a good question. Um, so, Liam Brody, Kyle Edmund, Dan Evans, Cam Norrie. A lot of bit, a lot of people are bigging up Cam Norrie because he's been putting a lot of practice in. Um, is also, P.S. Is Paul Job not one of the top eight Brits? Don't know. Don't think he is. Do you remember when he was a thing? Yeah, but he's not. Has he played any no. ATP events? I don't know. If he, he, no. He's, well, he got he the wild card to Wimbledon. Wild but... card at Wimbledon, but and he's been signed by Murray's agency, actually. Yes, uh, represented yeah. by them, and so yeah. I mean, I think that the... he. I mean, he would. Just, I mean, uh, sounds like he's probably not eligible, but he'd be somebody that I would have been very interested just to 
to see a bit more of. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Clark is playing. Um, and I, I mean, Jack Drape is the one, aside from Andy mm. Murray, who it's just going to be fascinating to see Andy Murray against this level of, of competition, see where he's at, given that he just hasn't played. But also just to see young Jack Draper, who who was saying that he'd won a practice set against Murray on a tie break a couple of days ago, um, just to, to see how he gets on because <laughs> he's a strapping lad. He reminds me a lot of the time. He reminds me a little bit of Andy Murray in terms of his, his mannerisms and also Andy Roddick, but when he was a sort of 17-year-old, that kind of thing. Um, he's got something that a lot of young Brits, when they break through, are are lacking, which is that real swagger. Mm. I mean, I think he... He treads a bit of a line with it, doesn't it? I'm sure it rubs people up the wrong way, and I'm sure I'm sure every now and then it can can border on arrogance. But I remember watching him in the uh, the Wimbledon boys final a couple of years ago, and just he just caught your eye. He just had a had a self belief which is not necessarily always associated with young Brits coming through that always seem to have that slightly. Um, What's the word for it? What's the most delicate it? way of putting this? <laughs> Somebody help me. Um, well, nobody's helping me. Come You're on. on your own with this one. <laughs> <laughs> Can I give you one bit of information? Diminutive? Diminutive? Oh, informa- yeah, just help me with anything okay, at this point, Paul, David. Paul Jubb is not one of the top eight players in Britain at the moment. He's ranked 519 in the world and he's about the British number 15. Um, but he's only Yikes. he's only twenty years of age, um, so going in the right direction. And I think as well, he he just hasn't played much. It's just the, a lack of events. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think for and I think for Jack Draper as well, this was this was supposed to be the year where he was kind of freeing himself of junior tennis and really trying to give it a go on the I'm sure the Challenger Tour, and I'm sure he probably would have got some wild cards. Picked a in. good year for it. Exactly. So, so I mean, at least he's now got an opportunity like this on a stage. Mm. Uh, to kind of, you know, give it a go and sh- hopefully show what he can do. Because apparently I've, I've seen him play a little bit in that boys' final as well. And as much as he's got the swagger, he also has a game, mm. you know, people cite his kind of tennis IQ and he he plays quite smart tennis, I think. Um, mm. so he's got a lot of shots, hasn't yeah. he? James Ward's playing yeah. as well. James Ward just yeah. squeaking into the top eight as well. So, uh, yeah, it's quite God. a few generations. Do you remember that time when we had plans for 2020? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the knock-on effects. I mean, we've talked about it before, <laughs> the knock-on effects of this situation, the number of people. I mean, if, if tennis doesn't get back this year and struggles to get back for, for quite a while, I mean, it may just retire people, mightn't it? Um, Left, right, and centre. It's. Um... I, I mean, I was referencing the Taylor Swift com- concert that I had tickets for, David. But yes, that that too. What was the ta- What was the Taylor Swift? That's a thing? shame. Also, that was going to be gonna... a really fun day, wasn't it? Was yeah, it? it was Women's Wimbledon Finals Day, followed by Taylor Swift in Hyde Park. It was going to be the best day ever. I do. I do. And now it's just remember you asking me how are we going to do the Wimbledon she- Daily podcast because she- I've got to go she- to Taylor Swift. <laughs> Yeah, it was going to be great, though. I was going to do a mad dash across town, uh, doing a Bucks Fizz style outfit change. Oh, anyway, dear. all of that's off. I thought I'd record a Wimbledon Relived podcast <laughs> from home instead. Yes, awesome. Yeah. 
<laughs> should we uh should we before i give the the big up to uh tennis relived wimbledon that's coming up uh in a week or so's time shall we take a little trip into the past yeah it's been, it's been a little while since we've done that um you don't get to do this one david though uh-huh. You don't get to talk about the past this time because we've got Andy Murray talking about the past. Okay. To to you. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, it's Andy Murray reminiscing about about Queen's 2019. Um and in particular about his doubles partner at Queen's 2019, Feliciano Lopez, who just I mean, I still have moments where I think, did that really happen about Lopez winning the singles and doubles title, about him playing, him participating in, what was it, Matt, the final five matches on the centre court at the Queen's Club last year? The man left his racket bag on court in between the singles and doubles final. He just jogged up the stairs, had a quick shower, jogged back on court. It was... It was... Absolutely incredible what he achieved last year. It was it was something that will probably never be repeated. Certainly not in those circumstances with the Andy Murray comeback story intertwined with it. So let's let's hear about that story in the words of Lopez's doubles partner that week, Andy Murray. I was wasn't sure until you know like a few weeks beforehand that you know definitely when I was going to be sort of allowed to play again. Um, you know, I was sort of going based on what the, you know, physios and doctors were saying, and they were giving me certain like targets to hit, like in the gym and stuff, strength wise. So they, you know, they could basically say, yep, okay, we're, we think you're strong enough to allow you to go and compete, basically. So I was just kind of working away, trying to get stronger. Um, and then as it sort of looked like I was going to be allowed to play, we started trying to find a partner for the grass season. Um, you know, and it got, it was just tricky, you know, because obviously a lot of guys were fixed up and then, you know, like, you know, what happened with Herbert, like, he wasn't going to play doubles and then I'd asked him um, if he would play and he sort of was like, I don't think so. And then sort of came back, said he would play Wimbledon and then I was like, well, what about the rest of the grass season? Because, you know, I'm, you know, I need a partner for the whole grass period and I was trying to find someone that could play the whole the whole stretch, um, but that didn't, didn't obviously work out. So then we were sort of looking at each tournament and going, right, well, which partner would give me the best chance of doing well, basically. And, you know, obviously fairly, you know, for me, he's, you know, he's one of the better grass court players out there. I mean, he serves obviously brilliant. Um, and yeah, that was, that was kind of how it came about. And, you know, obviously asked him, he was up for it. He'd been given the wild card into singles. And then, um, yeah, that was kind of how it started. But it was, uh, it was, it was just, it was really tricky arranging it. You know, I'd never been involved in that sort of, um, you know, the doubles kind of politics and stuff and double <laughs> games that go on before. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, a few things happened. But yeah, it was, it was good, good to play with Feli. He seemed pumped for it straight away I mean I, I spoke to him ahead of it and I think he liked the idea of kind of feeling I guess what you feel for a little bit in Britain and being on the court with you at the same time did did you sense that he was enjoying the whole process yeah I mean we uh, I, I don't since since I first came out there I'd always gotten really well with Feli like always really liked him um, and yeah I'd always chat to him and stuff at the tournaments always got on well and then yeah, when I asked him, like, 
yeah, he seemed he seemed pumped. And I think, you know, at the time, you know, his ranking in singles had dropped. Um, you know, I, I want to say he was around 100, maybe outside of 100. I'm not sure exactly what his ranking was when Queen started, but, you know, he, was, he, you know, he dropped quite a bit. And, you know, he was sort of talking like this was going to be his last year on the tour. Um, you know, so I think he kind of saw it as like also a nice thing to, able to do like for us to play together you know in in britain and you know playing in front of big crowds and stuff um you know would be i guess a nice memory to sort of finish with uh, <laughs> and then obviously we he went and did what he did in singles and uh, could, could you believe that when, when i mean yeah. aside from what you did as a doubles pairing that's pretty much a scratch doubles pairing but also the fact that he's gone through the drawer of the age he is playing twice a day no, I mean, I, I no, I couldn't really. I mean, it was one of those things as it was kind of going along. You were thinking, like, you know, is he is he going to do this? But then, you know, I was expecting the, the thing that he he's very fortunate with, and there's some players that have it and some don't. I personally can't do it, but he can. He could serve for ten hours in a row and not get tired. He's got such a just a great motion, like so. Uh, such an easy motion it's like very little stress on his arm and his body um, at all the way that he serves so he and because that's a huge part of his game um, you know that that obviously that obviously helps but I mean I certainly wasn't like some of the time you know when he was playing his singles matches we were saying oh for God's sake here we go like you know that you know we've got no chance he's going to be you know he's going to be tired like you know or you know understandably that if he was doing really well in singles you know the doubles becomes you know for him um yeah like like almost like a distraction in a way um you know that you know you see a lot of the singles guys when they're doing well in singles pulling out of doubles or you know and so we were thinking you know maybe you know he he, he might he might not want to play the doubles because he played a lot of long matches in the singles that week um as well but um yeah he was like pumped like really good energy the whole time and um you know sort of saw him a few times like in between matches like in the locker room between matches and you know he looked really tired like he was pumped like in his face but you know he looked tired like putting his socks on and um you know there wasn't huge gaps in between a lot of the matches either so he was kind of like he'd come in and he'd sort of shower and he'd be sort of having some food like 20 minutes before he went on. And, you know, I'm thinking, uh, you know, that's, you know, you don't want to be having like a bowl of pasta 20 minutes before you play a match. And I was sort of thinking, you know, that might be a bit of a slow start here, but yeah, he, he, he served brilliant the whole, the whole event. And then also in the doubles, like in the super tie race and stuff, he came up, I can't remember exactly which match it was. I think it was, this, I think it was a semi-final where he was just like at one stage I think he hit like five or six winners clean winners in a row which is you know unbelievably difficult in doubles you know he served a couple of aces a couple of return winners like volley winners um, so yeah he, he played he played brilliant and you, you would have been up there in the locker room watching while he's playing his singles do you, do you, do you find yourself getting at all emotionally involved? Well, it was actually is interesting. I didn't really do that much. What I was doing was because he wanted to go straight on for doubles after he finished his singles, I was warming up. So I would go and practice 
like close towards the end of his matches. So I was on the practice court listening to the score and thinking like, right, okay, you know, what I don't know, whatever. It's, you know, 4-3 in the second set. It's a set up 4-3. So I would be hitting on the court, sort of waiting for the match to end. And then obviously most of them went on to three sets. And, uh, you know, so I would just sit on the practice court and wait and start warming up again, just hitting balls because I wanted to come out you know, as sharp as possible because I was sort of expecting that maybe after some of the long singles matches that he, you know, might be a bit slow at the beginning. So I was trying to, you know, have my eye in by, yeah, basically practicing right up until we went on the court, which is never normally what players do. You know, you normally finish practice at least an hour and a half, two hours before you go on the court. But I was trying to practice right up to the yeah, right up to the match. So mm. I wasn't actually sitting there, you know, physically watching the match. I was just hearing the score. Yeah. Just as a, as a final thought, I mean, I know you've, you've won so many different titles and, and, and huge titles, Grand Slams, but given what you'd been through and to find yourself on the court with him sharing that, what, what, does, what did that mean to you? And I, I kind of always wonder about this. Do you, do you then take a sort of bond with you f- for the future, do you, do you find, with, with, a, with a success yeah. like that? It's interesting. Like, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I guess since I've had this kind of time off and then what happened, and, you know, at Queen's with Fairley, was that, you know, I always got on with Fairley and, you know, we'd occasionally sort of message and stuff. And when I saw him at tournaments, we would chat. But, like, um yeah, I mean, we speak to each other, like, a lot. Like, we regularly message each, each other. You know, we went out for dinner, like, after the final and stuff, which, you know, normally, you know, normally if I won something, I'd celebrate with my team, but not with, like, another player on his team. And it was really, yeah, like, for me, it was just really nice. Like, his team were so, so happy. Like, his coach and stuff, he was on brilliant form, like, that night. And we... Yeah, we like stayed up until I can't even remember. We were in the restaurant very, very late um, uh, together, and you know his family were there and stuff. And normally you just share it kind of on your own, so it's the first time. I, I don't mean on your own, but with with your own team. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the first time I'd ever sort of celebrated with somebody else, really. Um, you know, outside of the, you know, maybe like the Davis Cup, for example, and. Yeah, since then we've yeah we've stayed in contact and stuff, and yeah he's he's been messaging me a bunch, um, you know recently, and yeah it was it was uh, it was it was really nice, and yeah I guess I also you know I, I had no idea what to expect, like how I was going to play or how I was going to feel or anything at that stage, and um, you know was sort of being told by a lot of people, you know maybe you know, press wise or doctor wise that, you know, might not work out and it wasn't, you know, it's going to be really difficult, which I, you know, myself thought, but then, yeah, it just kind of, kind of happened. And between like that, like Queens and, and Antwerp for me, like, yeah, obviously the major events and stuff and the Olympics were special, but, you know, that was different because I thought like, I thought I was at the end, you know, and I had really not enjoyed playing tennis the kind of two years previous at all because, yeah, just because of the pain and discomfort that I was in. And then, like, really, like, that week, like, yeah, like, I had, like, that joy back in playing and competing and, you know, smiling and, like, you know, it was, yeah, it just felt very different to what I'd experienced the last kind of seven, eight years of my career where during the matches and everything, 
there was just always like a stress and a pressure there to win. Um, and if you won one match, it was like you're straight on to the next one. Whereas I felt like, I don't know, that week, like we both like really enjoyed the whole experience together and each win we yeah made the most of. So yeah, it was, it was a cool, cool week for me and quite different to, you know, some of the other titles that I'd won. Oh, lovely stuff. The, the past, the past was a, a good place, wasn't it? It's soothing, isn't it? Just to hear a bit about yeah. the past. <laughs> um, nobody wrote me a list of things that happened in 2019 before I got to intro that. Oh. But maybe we all remember it. But better, better things happened in 2019. I can get Google out let's if you not, like. Let's not dwell <laughs> on it. Um, unfortunately, while we were while we were listening to that, uh, some more news is broken. Hmm. Mm. Matt? Uh, Victor Troitsky has now tested positive for COVID-19. He played the Belgrade leg of the Adria Tour, I believe, and then was due to play an exhibition at Tip Zarevich's Academy, I think, and pulled out of that. Um, And there are also reports that his pregnant wife has also tested positive. Which furthers the the um, uncertainty around, you know, who's the patient zero here? Just because Grigor Dimitrov is the first one to show symptoms and test positive, um, or f- certainly the first one to, to publicly announce that he tested positive at least, that doesn't really mean anything in terms of the trajectory of this thing and how it started and spread um, at those events. So phew, it's all incredibly worrying and unfortunately, Matt... The Nadir. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> might be yet to come. Well, let's hope they um, all, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, but we'll say it anyway. Let's hope they all get well soon, um, mm. but it's not serious. I mean, it, it's so alarming, isn't it? And um, to, to just hear this, this number of people all in this situation testing positive, um, let's hope that's the end of it. Um, but, oh dear, it gets worse. And, yeah. and we don't know the long-term implications of this of this virus as well which is yet another worry you know i mean who knows what it could do to their bodies you know we we don't know that yet so you know let's hope not only they get over it now but also that they're able to compete as normal in the future and continue to be high profile athletes absolutely we we wish them all well and uh yeah, I mean, we certainly, I mean, for Matt's sake and the world, hope that this is the nadir of the catastrophe. But um, we've learned not to take anything for granted. Um, but I'm just going to close my eyes and live in June 2019 for a little while. Cause yeah, I, I got to speak it to... It lovely. I got to speak a lot to Feliciana Lopez last week because, I mean, I, I'm the media director at the Fever Tree Championships at Queen's. I'm not... I can't be looked at as an objective person where it comes to that event. I've always loved it. I've always worked at it for the last 25 years. And, and, and that's, uh, it's, it's lovely to remember those, uh, those scenes that Andy Murray talked about just then, but also just at the same time, I mean, Matt and me have been working on it the last week, just trying to, you know, remind people of what it was like and the social media and that kind of thing. But it didn't take place this year. It didn't take place. We've just finished Queen's Week and it didn't happen. And next week we're going to have Wimbledon and yet we won't have Wimbledon. Thankfully, we'll have 
tennis relived from Wimbledon here for us every day. And I mean, I hope everybody enjoys it that listens to those shows. But for us, it's it's a godsend, really, just to have this every day to talk about and think about and relive and watch these matches and enjoy them. But when I think that an event that uh, that I've been watching since I was well, for 35, 40 years on telly like Queens and then have worked at it for the last 25, for it just not to take place, really did once again bring it home to me. Yeah, I'm going to get all upset if I start talking about Queens not happening because it absolutely is my favourite week of, of the year, really. And I think it's where we all started. I mean, it's it's important yeah. to all of us personally. You know, it's where... I still remember meeting you both in the in the cafe City C is a little French cafe just on 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 the road between Barons Court Tube Station and the Queen's Club. Uh, well, five years ago now, um, and you know I've only got those five years of Queen's memories, and it still means a lot to me. You you two have both got a lot more than that, um, and yeah, just just when you're at Queen's, you feel like you're absolutely kind of in the slipstream of the tennis season because it, it, everything, everything tennis just consumes you normally in those, in those few weeks, it's the bridge between the French open and Wimbledon. And yet it's all new because it's grass as well. And um, yeah, to think that we went from last year's high, such a high. I mean, I've never, never been at a tournament where one player has kind of hijacked it and it's been their quest to, to win it. They've literally played the last five matches on, on the centre courts, the whole story, you're kind of writing themselves, my role, social media, you're kind of, in a way, hoping that this great story comes off because it's it's something that, you know, people are going to connect with. And then to go from that to absolute nothing this year is, um, yeah, just difficult to, difficult to take, really. Not nothing, Matt. We've got living in the past True. and uh, talking about catastrophic... Um, tennis what is even there's not even a word for it is there just i was going to say misstep but my god it's more than a misstep um yeah well we're we're starting Wimbledon relived on monday we can't wait what's our first what's what what is the first match that we'll be reliving 19, we start, 19, starting with a bang. 78 it is. Uh, we're going back to Martin and Avratilova <gasps> against Chris Evert. And we're also, within that show, going to cover the Martin and Avratilova Wimbledon story. Nine Wimbledons that she's won, uh, ending in 1990 uh, against um, uh, Zena Garrison. Well, that is a bang. Yeah. We are starting with a bang. Uh, but before that, we'll be back with at least one podcast Um on Thursday, we're going to talk about Battle of the Brits, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, possibly more. I mean, how many can David squeeze in between now and then? The, 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 that is not a. It's not a challenge, well, David. How many days are there between now and then? And there's <laughs> your answer. <laughs> Plenty to get stuck uh, into. Awesome. Uh, we'll be back. Um, don't know soon. We have sure. a quiz We've, to write, Catherine. We've got a quiz to write um, for our predictions level quick Kickstarter backers. We're running a Wimbledon quiz on Saturday, um, so I hope you can hope if you are one of those backers, Sunday. you can you can join us Sunday. Sorry, there, I said Saturday because it was going to be Saturday, but but Matt said he would quite like to watch uh, Leeds Fulham. So for all you regretting for all you predictions backers that would have really preferred the quiz to be on Saturday, too that, bad. <laughs> that is what's happening. You what can sit up. there imagining Matt watching Fulham lose to Leeds. 
Which, fingers crossed, that doesn't happen. I was going to anyway. say, you don't need to imagine that. Yeah, I'm running this show, Matt, now. I can stitch you up as much as I like. Um, is, is that, is that Have I forgotten anything? I'm going to say hello to Russell and Brad, parents yeah. of uh, hey. Butler, who was, our, who was our mascot for the year, um, who's no longer with us, sadly, but is very much um, in our thoughts and our memories. And uh, Russell and Brad can be our mascots for yeah. the year. And uh, if you're listening, Russell and Brad, I I assume you are. I hope you are. Um, hopefully see you on Sunday, not Saturday. (laughs) Uh, But we'll be back before then soon with some kind of other podcast. See you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 